Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as the best insight and analysis on all the topics that you're discussing in the beautiful game. I'm Ian McGarry and as ever, uh, Duncan Castles joins me for the transfer window and um, we're going to start today's podcast with some news around Paul Pogba and Manchester United and it is our understanding that Manchester United have made an offer to Pogba's agent, the infamous Mina Raiola, to um, come to England or indeed anywhere that he chooses to be uh, and to talk about an extension to Pogba's contract. The uh, 26-year-old France international currently has two years left uh, on his deal, which means he's out of contract a year next summer, um, which would obviously and has been a problem for Manchester United in recent years regarding players running down their deals. Um, Clearly, there was also issues with uh, Pogba during the summer and a potential move to Real Madrid, which, of course, have an influence on what he will do at the end of this season. Now, it is our information that despite the fact the invitation has been made, Duncan, that Mina Raiola has so far declined to set a date. And from what I'm told from people close to him, uh, there is no plan to meet Manchester United in the near future to discuss a new contract, which of course indicates that Pogba has still got a move on his mind, as does his agent Raiola, and that by putting themselves a year of contract without an extension come next summer, they would be in a greater negotiating position given the record fee at the time which United paid for the player um, and the chances that, of course, at a relatively young age, he could simply run his contract down if he wanted to or United refused to sell him and they would get nothing for him in the summer of 2021. Is this player power, Duncan, do you think? Is this uh, this Pogba and Raiola flexing their muscles? Um, And is this a desperate play by Manchester United to resolve a situation which, quite frankly, they should have resolved before now? Well, Manchester United have an additional year of security because they have that um, unilateral option um, to extend till 2022 uh, in Pogba's contract. Something they do with most of their senior players is um, set an initial long-term period on the contract and give themselves that one-year option that they've invoked with with multiple players recently, um, eventually renewing some of them and eventually losing them, for example, under Herrera. Um, So they do have time to play with. I I see this more as an attempt to um, try and get Pogba to commit himself completely to Manchester United going forward. Um, obviously everyone knows that Pogba wanted to leave in the summer they know that Mino Raiola did his best uh, to get him out this summer as he had in the previous season Um, so the the situation has been clear in in that uh, United have had to retain the player against as well and they've successfully achieved that um, probably abetted by um, Zinedine Zidane's problems at Real Madrid which uh, resulted in uh, Florentino Perez separating from his coach in terms of um, transfer strategy and not driving as hard to sign Pogba as he might have done um, if he still had full faith in Zidane. Um, That's gone until at the very earliest, January. Um, He can't leave the club. Uh, For a player of his stature to leave mid-season is very rare. So you're, you're really talking until next summer um, uh, United can't expect to retain the player for the season but what you want him is uh, to be fully on board with the direction the club is travelling in Um, he hasn't been there for some time uh, understandably so in the sense that um, he perceives himself as one of the top players in the world he clearly has the potential um, from a technical point of view, to establish himself properly as one of the top players in the world. And he's uh, stuck playing at a club um, who have no realistic prospect of winning the domestic title this season, who um, he will hear uh, various influential figures around the club, such as Paul Scholes and Gary Neville, 
publicly stating that there is no chance of Manchester United winning the title this year and there really isn't a chance of them doing it for another couple of years and that the current manager should be given four or five transfer windows in which to rebuild the squad. So there's a negativity around the team as a competitive uh, entity in European football. And if you're one of the top players in the world, then you would be questioning why is this the right place for me to continue? No Champions League football this season, obviously. Um, as things stand, as the season has started, your calculation from Paul Pogba and Mino Raiola's point of view must be that there's a reasonable chance they won't have Champions League football next season either. Um, there's probably no chance of winning the Champions League uh, in either of those seasons, even if United qualify for next um, the next competition. So uh, do you then uh, reset your efforts to try and get that exit from the club, be it to Real Madrid or be it to another major power in European football? Um, obvious targets would be Juventus, where he's been before uh, and played successfully, and Paris Saint-Germain. Or do you um, take this opportunity to talk to Manchester United and accept you're stuck there uh, for this season and possibly for longer and, uh, and therefore um, increase uh, the money you can get while you're at the club um, by taking an improved contract from Manchester United when it's on the table. Um, they don't have to do that now. So this, this is an initial approach um, just after the window is closed. It's an indication of where Manchester United's um, intent stands on the matter. But there's, um, there's plenty of time for them to, to play the clock down um, and, uh, and see how matters develop through the season, see how matters develop with, with um, Solskjaer, with the team, uh, and, and with um, interest from other clubs before they make a decision on where they go next. They, I think they're in the position of power in terms of deciding um, whether to extend at Manchester United or whether to, to keep pursuing the avenue they have been pursuing for a while, which is it's better to try and get them out of this club and, and placed at another club. Interestingly, Duncan, um, this is the second invitation um, which United have made in the past 12 months. They made a similar invitation when Pogba returned to Manchester as a World Cup winner last summer. Uh, at a time when his deal had three years to run. And Raiola uh, met with representatives of Manchester United's board and chief uh, executive, or sorry, I should say, uh, Ed Woodward, the executive deputy chairman. And they had discussions, at which point it was concluded that no extension at that point would be signed. There was no need to. The player was under contract for just under three years with, as you said, the, the unilateral mandatory extension of one year. Uh, so everything was fine. However, I think the difference here in terms of um, what the player wants and what the club want is that the player himself is looking at his options for sporting reasons. Similar to Christian Eriksen, a new challenge. A challenge where I have a much more realistic chance of winning major titles. I want to go to a club where I feel like I'm competing for the league title as in the national championship, as well as the Champions League, both of which look very, very distant at this moment in time if he stays at Old Trafford. So despite the reputation uh, of Raiola as always going after and chasing the money, I think from Pogba's point of view, or told certainly this is the case, this is a, a sporting decision for him regarding what he sees as future is at Manchester United and the possibility of achieving his ambitions at Manchester United. And remember, this guy is a serial winner. Four Scudettos at Juventus. Um, OK, he didn't win the Champions League there. But when he signed for Manchester United, he did so on the basis that it was a project where he could win a Premier League title or numerous ones as well as have a good shot at the Champions League. So far, the Europa League and the League Cup is what he's achieved at Manchester United. And that clearly isn't sufficient to satisfy his ambitions. 
And therefore, that's why he's considering his options where he goes next. And you look at the contracts extensions awarded to lesser players whose ambitions are clearly not as high as Pogba, Smalling, Jones, even Martial, Rashford. These guys have signed up again at Manchester United for huge amounts of money. Less than what Pogba's on right now, admittedly. But at the same time, Pogba's making... Uh, if it, well, he's reconsidering his future regarding sporting reasons, not reasons of um, extra money, etc., etc. Although, of course, those will come uh, with any transfer anyway. So I think in this case, rather than, you know, a lot of people are quick to criticise Pogba and say that, you know, he doesn't give his best for the team or he's lazy or he's this or he's that. Um, with the current state of Manchester United, I think we can see why it is he is considering his future. You can, but you can also argue that if, um, if he wants a platform to prove himself, he has um, ideal platforms, the wrong word, because of the problems at the club. But in terms of his status within that team, it couldn't be higher. He is the midfield, essentially. He is the creativity of that team. Um, they've lost two senior international midfielders in, in each um, across the last two transfer windows. They haven't been replaced. Um, another senior international midfielder, Emmanuel Matic, has been dropped from the side by Billy Gunnar Solskjaer. The one player who he has consistently invested um, status in, in terms of giving him the captaincy at times, allowing him to take penalties, making him central to the team is Paul Pogba. So the platform is there. If his focus is on, on the sporting side, and you know, even if his, his calculation of the sporting side is I need to be a better football team, that's not going to happen for another season. So the sporting platform um, for him is there for Manchester United and that the team has been uh, is being restructured around him, has always been structured around him when he's there. It's, he's not going to have competition for his place. Solskjaer is dependent on him. The forwards are dependent on him to provide uh, creation. And there's no argument that he can reach higher levels than, than he has. Um, there's no argument that he can perform better. There's no argument that he can be more focused um, during games. There's no argument that he can prove the defensive side of, of his, his um, midfield play and try and bring it into balance with what is... I mean, he is a world-class passer of the, of the ball, um, particularly over long distance. His ability to hit 30, 40, 50-yard passes that create opportunities for his teammates is pretty much as good as anyone in the modern game. And he combines that with um, good, very good technical skills in the ball, which sometimes he, um, which get him into difficulty because he, he, tends, he has a tendency to overplay them. But that's something you can improve um, with a bit of focus on, on avoiding overplaying and, and, and doing simple things when they're necessary. Um, and, and an incredible stature. I mean, he's a, he's a huge... To, to combine that kind of technical ability and passing ability in his physical frame is very, very rare. Um, he should be better aerially because of it. He should be more um, more effective and from a defensive perspective because of that um, physicality he has. He doesn't. He hasn't added that element to his his game. It has not improved at all during the period he's been at Manchester United. So if the focus now is sporting side from Paul Pogba. Um, I'll be very surprised if the, if the focus is sporting side from Mino Raiola because that's not his history as an agent. It's never been a primary focus on the sporting side of his clients. But if, if the focus is sporting side from Paul Pogba, he does have a platform to do that and demonstrate this season with the, in the position he's in with Solskjaer and with Manchester United that he is as good as he thinks he is and is deserving of being a, a team that are competitors for the Champions League and competitors for a domestic title. Well, there is a suspicion, Duncan, that um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was privately um, open to Pogba leaving the club, but only if it was earlier in the now-closed transfer window 
in order that he would be able to reinvest money in a player who was less troublesome or easier to manage in the dressing room. That hasn't come to pass, uh, clearly. He now has Pogba and has to make it work with Pogba um, for the coming season. As you said, it's highly unlikely a player of his stature and reputation would leave in January. But I suppose one of the other problems that Pogba has with regards to any potential move is his desire to move to Real Madrid would be entirely dependent on the coach there. And at the moment, um, Zinedine Zidane is the coach and he is the one who was pushing to get Pogba uh, to his into his squad. Florentino Perez was more interested in trying to sign Neymar and in the end they got neither, but did spend a lot of money. So I think in terms of what happens between now and next summer is dependent on various factors and not simply, you know, what Paul Pogba wants. Um, and of course, that's normally the case in transfers because there's always at least three parties involved. So um, with that in mind, uh, it'll be interesting to see if Raiola does decide to come to the table at any point, even just to have a conversation with Manchester United about uh, a renewed contract, which of course, he could insist on having a rescission clause uh, that if met, Pogba would be allowed to leave. However, United are not in the habit of allowing contracts with their best and most expensive players. So again, that would be a difficult one to negotiate. From the France midfielder, currently on international duty, to, um, I think, Duncan, an interesting twist in the face of the England national team as we go into competitive matches for the next European Championships. And of course, that is, um, as Gareth Southgate puts together his squad, has put together his squad, but picks his team for the next two qualifiers against Bulgaria and Kosovo at home. He has included more than a few young players, something which, you know, he's been doing in past squads, it has to be said. And, you know, he's been praised very highly for his inclusion and integration of younger players. But on this particular squad alone, um, Let's just go through Trent Alexander-Arnold, Harry Winks, James Madison, Mason Mount, Jim Sancho, Callum Wilson, Marcus Rashford, Declan Rice. All, it looks like, players who will get a chance to play in the upcoming two matches. Um, You and I have covered England for many years um, at major tournaments and seen them fall short, both during the golden generation years and also the experimentation the dark days of Fabio Capello and the darker days of Roy Hodgson. Um, <clears throat> what's um, Do you hold new hope for England, Duncan, with regards to the um, attitude which Southgate's taking with regards to uh, recruiting younger players to the international squad, um, as well as the fact that it now appears that the multi-million pounds of investment which was made into academies in the Premier League may may just be certain to produce players of a technical quality who are able to perform at this highest level? Well, I think hope's the wrong word in this particular um, circumstance, but I agree with you. I think from a technical perspective, in terms of the, the, the quality and ability of the players to play football, I think England have got a better group of players now a more talented group of players than any I've seen in my career in journalism. And I think that is as a result of the, you know, the, the huge changes in Premier League Academy um, training, investment, but also a focus on, on producing technical players, producing players that have ball skills that uh, English players did not generally have in the past. And it's no coincidence that you've seen this pattern of major European clubs um, scouting uh, English academy teams, the England youth levels, and picking off some of the most talented of uh, the younger players who've been stockpiled by bigger clubs such as Manchester City and aren't getting matches for their first team um, and taking them to uh, Germany or Italy um, to give them the opportunity to play and develop their careers. And, um, you know, these clubs don't make, they're, they're, they're still making significant investments in them in terms of salary. They don't make investments in young players unless they feel they are better 
than what's available to them elsewhere in Europe. So that in itself is an indicator that the technical level of English players has improved. Um, they've been battling for a long time with the Premier League's success and financial success and the, the difficulties that players, even with improved technical abilities, have of, of breaking into first teams and getting experience. Uh, and they've had a smaller and smaller pool of players to choose from um, who regularly play top-level football. But that seems to be changing now. Um, and I think it's partly a, as a response to clubs like Borussia Dortmund taking the, um, the better young English players. Because you've seen, you now see clubs like Chelsea saying, actually, um, maybe we need to retain our players and put them in the first team. And then going down, uh, following a strategy of hiring a manager in Frank Lampard, who will implement that policy. So, I mean, it's early in this Premier League season and maybe we should wait until we get halfway through it and some you know, more, more careful analysis has been done. You see the patterns uh, through the course of that first half of the season. But I think you will see the number of England qualified players increasing in terms of Premier League minutes played for the first time for many years. Um, so that's of you know, a huge um, benefit to England and their chances of, uh, of actually delivering on in a major tournament um, for the first time for many, many years. Um, there are other elements there. We, we know that in 2017, um, you had that year in which the England youth levels won the World Under-17, the World Under-20 title and the European Under-19 Championship. And the those players are starting to, to break through now. Um, they have a big advantage in Euro 2020 in that it's essentially going to be a home tournament for England. So um, when England qualify, as they will, they will play their games. Um, they should play all three group games at home. They'll play a minimum of two group games at home and only if they're drawn in the same group as Scotland could they um, end up with one game in, in Glasgow instead of in England. Um, and they'll play, if they make it uh, that far, the semi-final and the final at home. So there is that home team advantage for them um, with this most talented group of players they've had for a long time. If you look through the squad... Um, I think they're strong in most areas as well. I think uh, I think the only area I would really have a question mark over in terms of having, you know, at least one top quality player as goalkeeper. Um, I'm not sure Jordan Pickford's the answer there. I know he's been hailed by a lot of people as a, as a as a great goalkeeper, but um, his consistency of performance hasn't been at that level in in my view. And I don't know if there's a, a proper contender for him who will reach that level. But uh, defensively, um, there is a lot of talent there. Um, they have, you know, in Trent Alexander-Arnold, one of the best attacking fullbacks in Europe at present. Um, if Joe Gomez uh, continues the development he showed at the start of his the, the first half of last season before he got injured, um, they have a proper centre-back there. Um, Ben Chilwell looks like he has the ability to become a top left back again, uh, coming back from injury. Um, midfield, again, a, a lot of options, a lot of talent. Uh, and in attack, they have a player, in, you know, at centre forward in Harry Kane, who would be on the, the transfer list of leading Champions League clubs, plus Raheem Sterling, um, who is one of the best attackers in the Premier League um, and turning into one of the best attackers in Europe. Um, with developing talents like Jadon Sancho and Callum Hudson-Odoi, although you've got to ask uh, what level he comes back at from Achilles' injury, which can be a very difficult one in football, um, to, to work alongside them. I think the question mark is experience. Um, Looking at the current squad, there's only one player in that squad who's won a domestic title. That's Raheem Sterling. Um, and then you, you have uh, 
Jordan Henderson, who I would say is one of the weak points of, of the, the, the team at present, um, Alexander-Arnold as, as Champions League winners. Um, so there's not a lot of experience of winning there. And then you have a coach who's clearly not top level. Um, Gareth Southgate's a very hard worker. He's very diligent. We saw the level of preparation he put into the World Cup campaign. Um, came up with a, uh, a clever tactical solution um, to get the, the best group of players on the pitch during the World Cup and did a lot of work on set pieces which paid dividends until they started to play um, better teams and were eliminated by a better team who outthought them tactically and, and I think that's the question mark is we haven't really seen Southgate turning games around when England get into trouble, is he smart enough to come up with solutions on the fly um, and to fix problems in those circumstances? So there are question marks still. Um, and then you also have to factor in the whole expectation that, that dogs England teams um, and the, the, the fashion in which the English media get carried away with um, success very rapidly. But... I don't think there's any doubt for me that they have better players now than they've had for 20 years. Um, and when you have better players in football, you have better chances. So my experience, Duncan, which is, of course, similar to yours in terms of our journalistic careers, um, was that the golden generation, which, of course, was the fulcrum was the English players in the class of 92 from Manchester United, Neville, Scholes, Butt, Beckham, um, married up with Gerard Lampard, Michael Owen, etc. <clears throat> they clearly underachieved at international level, something which all of them describe as a great disappointment and frustration in their careers, uh, despite winning numerous Premier League European titles uh, between them. Now, it seemed to me during that course of history, if you like, that the pressure upon those individuals proved too much international level to the point where both Sven Jorn Eriksson and to a lesser extent Fabio Capello told me privately that effectively the shirt was too heavy. The England shirt weighed too heavily on those England players to the point where they could not produce club form at international level. This is not a new theory, but it is something which clearly was um, evident in the way that England played and failed at quarterfinal level year after year in European and World Cup performances. What I get from this youthful squad is the kind of thing which was probably best summed up by Wayne Rooney's performance at Euro 2004 in Portugal, where as an 18-year-old, he scored goals for fun, he played without fear, until obviously he crucially got injured in that quarterfinal uh, match um, and wasn't able to continue in the tournament and England were eliminated. Um, I, I see with players like Jaden Sancho, Trent Alexander-Arnold, James Madison, um, not so much the less experienced internationally players in that, I mean, Declan Rice um, and obviously Callum Wilson is just coming out of Mason Mount. But I see at least an opportunity for Southgate to not harness the energy, but to actually allow it to flow in those younger players. And if they can build upon good performances and qualifying, that perhaps that ship will not weigh as heavily upon them when it comes to playing, as you've said, what effectively could be a home competition in the Euro 2020 finals. Um, be very interesting to see England play a home game in, in Glasgow, that's for sure. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to see that just just for the comedy value um, but apart from that I think yeah there's a great opportunity there is um, I'm slightly concerned that in the last two major semi-finals they've played in uh, the uh, the Europa Nations League semi-final and then obviously the World Cup semi-final against Croatia that they fell short but since then Southgate to his credit has introduced even more young players and will not go down there, I don't think, or the folly of calling on experienced professionals who have been there and failed. He would rather fail with young players who gain experience 
than fail with experienced players just because either pressure from you know the public or the media or whoever um, expect him to pick them because they're playing particularly well for the clubs or whatever. Um, I think he would rather build a team based on youth and that youthful um, ability to block out the notion of failure as being something which would hold them back because effectively that has been the English disease in the last 20 years of you know, coming close and failing. So I agree with you on the points that you say. I think there is a lot of development still needed and it will be to their great benefit if the players we've been speaking about compete regularly for their clubs because that's always been a problem in picking a squad for England is you have to justify picking a young player who's not played much football. But even the likes of Callum Hudson-Odoi coming back, Ruben Loftus-Cheek as well at Chelsea, um, there are other players who are not even in this squad who could easily uh, come in and become a major part of what is an ongoing youthful project. So I guess the question left to ask is, um, and you know, this is something which uh, elite coaches will always concur with you, and that is if you ask an elite coach who has been successful at the highest level, what is it that you bring to the table that makes a difference? they'll almost all tell you is that I bring you that extra 5 to 10% that gets my team over the line to win trophies. Has Gareth Southgate got that in him, Duncan? Well, he's never demonstrated in his past career and I, I don't want to be overly critical of him because I, I think he is a, he's extremely diligent professional um, he's a man with his heart in the right place and he, he puts a huge amount of work into doing the best he can do. But ultimately, that, that skill of reading a game um, and being able to change the flow of a game by making decisions in the heat of battle is one that not many top uh, coaches have. Um, you know, you even look at someone like Antonio Conte, who has been very successful at club level and considers himself to be one of the top coaches in the world, has a burning ambition to win the Champions League. If you watched his um, time at Chelsea, it was when he was set unexpected tactical problems on the pitch was when he fell down because he, he wasn't able to change games in situ against the, the hardest of opponents. So he didn't have it. I don't think Gareth Southgate has got it. I've seen no evidence that he's got it. And I'm not sure that's something you can develop. Um, maybe you can get away with it at international level, especially if it's a, it's a home tournament and you get the, the help of being at home, um, which isn't just the crowds. It's also um, decisions going in your favour that wouldn't go in your favour if you were away team. Um, the dependence, you know, the idea that you, you put your trust in use who haven't lost and, uh, and harness their self-belief has something going for it. Uh, the, the question, obviously, is whether you come up against opponents who are technically as good um, and have experience and have a, you know, have a better coach. And therefore, they, when it comes down to it, they have the edge and they win the games. Um, and, you know, there are some... Like Portugal have a very good... Uh, national team at the moment um, and a developing national team and they've they've got a cadre of, of youth players who they have a, a huge amount of um, belief in and think could could win the next World Cup that's what they're they're targeting is to integrate those youth that youth level into their their current squad um, and become world champions for the first time um, they definitely have a more intelligent um, more savvy coach who's able to to change matches while they go on. So so they're um, big opponents for England. Um, but, you know, as I say, they're, they're in a better position they have, than they've ever been in. And there are guys, you know, um, John Stones and Kyle Walker aren't in the current squad. They have won titles. If um, Guardiola reintegrates them um, properly as first team players and then they, they re-establish themselves in the England team, you've got that experience there and then you have 
Um, players like Phil Foden, um, who is a, a supremely talented footballer. Um, you've got Mason Greenwood, um, who ha has still got to establish himself at Premier League level, but a lot of guys in the game consider to have the technical attributes to become a top player. And then even um, players um, like Joe Willock at um, Arsenal, who um, I think is a, a very um, capable and, and again, technically good uh, midfielder. You know, watched him play against Liverpool uh, in a game Arsenal lost, but was uh, winning cha challenges with his physicality and also winning with his technical ability and speed around the ball um, in a way that, I don't see very often, or I haven't seen very often in the past in young English players. And he's not even in close to getting into the national team squad. He's only just breaking into the, um, the under-21 squad. So again, the point here is they have better tools to work with than, than I've seen in, uh, in my career of, of um, covering English football. Well, England, well, in terms of the FA, their plan was to... I guess, replicate Germany's um, success in the past when Yogi Lowe was uh, brought through their own, the DFB's um, youth teams and then made uh, senior team manager. And Southgate followed that same career path, albeit having spells in charge at Middlesbrough in the interim. Um, so perhaps that's where the, the store is being laid. Um, I think one of maybe one of his advantages, if not qualities, is that um, he is allowing young players to express themselves. He's trusting them. Um, a lot of the time, young players uh, will take on tactical advice from their coach, but at the same time, will allow themselves to to play their natural game uh, within a tactical shape. Um, and that's certainly how Germany achieves success. Um, in the 2000s and, and afterwards. Um, and so maybe England have the right template, as <clears throat> you say, Duncan, but it's just whether or not they can uh, deliver on the, the template. So on the podcast, we spoke about one Manchester midfielder and his future. We're now going to go and speak to about another Manchester midfielder who is questioning, I suppose, his future, Duncan, and that man is Nemanja Matic, who in classic and we love this as journalists, traditional style, has gone at international duty, spoken his mind in a critical way about his club situation, um, just waiting for him to come back to Manchester next Tuesday or Wednesday and for the club to claim that he was misquoted or mistranslated in what he said about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his own views and thoughts on Solskjaer and his team selections and where Manchester City may or may not succeed this season. Um, I would invite you, Duncan, I know you tweeted this out a couple of times, to just remind our listeners of what Matic actually said so that we can put it in a broader context of when players do criticise managers and what that, the consequences of that can be both for the player, for the dressing room and for the manager themselves going forward. Well, I'd be surprised if, if Matic um, complains about being mistranslated because um, it looks to me like um, a very carefully considered um, conversation he'd had with his uh, national team journalists when on international duty were asking him how he felt about not having been picked as a starter for the first four Manchester United games, which is obvious question to, to put. Um, and... I, He's done it in a, it's a calculated answer, which I don't think you can you can seriously argue with. He says, I, 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 rec I reckon, Duncan, he was wearing a white coat and bearing a scalpel in his hand <laughs> as he said it. Yeah, I think that's a fair way of describing it. He said, I, I've been in football for a long time. I've played almost all the games for all the clubs in the last 10 years. In order for me to play one um, other player had to sit on the bench and accept that fact and so do I now and then he says the coach must opt for the team that will fight for the title and if he does not win he bears the responsibility so what Matic is saying is um, uh, I've played almost every game for 10 years for a reason 
because the other coaches wanted to select me because I'm good. Um, someone had to stay to sit out of the team when I played, uh, and I'm quite happy to accept and sit out of the team um, if the coaches choose chooses not to play me, which he's not playing me. But if the team doesn't succeed uh, with the coach making that decision, then that decision comes down on the coach. He's the one who bears the responsibility. I don't think you can argue with any of that, but it's very, um, yes, it's very surgical in its, uh, in its criticism and uh, demonstrating that he's unhappy with having been left out of a team which is not strong in midfield. Um, has been has seen Scott McTominay, who is a you know a good developing uh, academy player um, at Manchester United, and Andreas Pereira um, being selected ahead of him so far this season. Um, and remember, this comes after a summer in which Matic uh, was wanted by AC Milan and Internazionale, um, was open to those moves. It's not that he wanted to leave Manchester United, but his calculation was, if Solskjaer doesn't want to play me, um, I don't want to be a bench player at Manchester United. And if these two um, important clubs in Italy are interested in signing me and giving me a long-term contract at age 31, then the rational decision for me would be to pursue that option um, and, uh, and go and play football in Italy because I'd, I'd rather be playing football in Italy in a long-term contract than being on the bench um, for a manager who would prefer to have someone else in the first team in England. United didn't take up those offers because they felt that financially um, they weren't high enough um, for them to sell Matic. But um, so he, he, he had, he was forced to remain at the club he didn't push for a transfer in the sense of going public and uh, and uh, going down the various steps you can go down when when you want to move elsewhere. And now he sees himself stuck on the bench um, with a team that uh, has won just one of four games um, this season um, under Solskjaer's direction and is on a run of, of just three wins in, in 16 in, in all competitive matches. Um, which I think is why you get that phrase that, that the coach must opt for the team that will fight for the title. And if he does not win, he bears the responsibility. Of course, fans, especially Manchester United, will, I guess they, they've said it on our Twitter feed, Duncan, and you can understand why they would take the view that this is a guy with a gripe. He's not been playing under Solskjaer. Therefore, it's easy for him to go out and criticise him talk about social taking responsibility. I guess my um, <clears throat> sort of broader outlook on this is that um, these are situations that I've seen many times um, at football clubs over the years. Uh, it's not just about a single player criticising the coach. It's about a player who is a senior member of the dressing room, respected in that dressing room. He comes out and says something which effectively reflects the mood possibly of some other players in that dressing room with regards to results and how the team is being picked, how the team is being set up and how the team is performing. And obviously, as a professional footballer, you believe that you might be able to do better um, if you're in the team. The problem for Solskjaer is that we are kind of at the beginning of where Mourinho was um, before he was sacked in that some players both privately and then through their agents uh, publicly. And then others, like Pogba, came out and gave very, very um, pointed interviews in the media with regards to a criticism of the way, style of play of the coach or the way that results were going against them, etc., etc. And it just takes, you know, the, the little sort of, uh, I guess, the, the kind of beginning of the criticism and the frustration uh, to be made public before and then when results continue to go against you, then that small snowball rolls into an avalanche um, against the manager. And of course, the manager's position then comes into question. The manager has to defend his position. And then if results continue to be poor, the manager gets sacked. 
So my concern in terms of what's happening at Manchester United now is that we're seeing a repeat of what happened to Mourinho um, last season, ending in his dismissal um, around Christmas time. And that Solskjaer's results are so far worse than Mourinho's at that point. But he now has the added problem of senior player criticising him in public and the possibility that that will snowball into other players doing the same. Well, I don't think Matic has actually criticised him. He's expressed um, uh, his disappointment at not playing and stated a, a fact, which is if, uh, if the coach makes the wrong calls and, uh, and they don't achieve what's expected on the field, then it's the coach who has to bear responsibility. I think he's been very careful in what he said not to explicitly criticise Solskjaer as a manager. And he could criticise Solskjaer as a manager. If he wanted to go down that line, it wouldn't be too hard for him to do. Um, it is the case that a number of players at Manchester United are not impressed by Solskjaer as a manager. Um, you know, this is from, from last season. The complaint from many players in the dressing room was that his management isn't particularly innovative. Um, he's not great tactically. The training is dull and uh, very kind of British in style, um, very physically oriented. So, so there is a, you know, there was a feeling within the dressing room. And when I was first told about it, it was essentially that there was a split between the foreign players and the, the British players over their opinion of Solskjaer. Uh, and the, the foreign players in general felt that Solskjaer basically wasn't up to the job. He wasn't an elite level manager. Um, not that they disliked him as an individual, um, but footballers can tell when their coach is good or not. Um, and I think, I think that's the, 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 the problem Solskjaer has going forward. Um, he's obviously tried to address it by getting rid of players who um, were unimpressed with his management and he didn't want to work with. Um, it's very noticeable that he's he has a focus on younger players. Um, signing younger players and also promoting younger players from the academy. So this is the um, uh, focus on malleable individuals who are more likely to do what they're told and follow your lead strategy, which is not unique in following. That's um, it's very much something Pep Guardiola has done throughout most of his managerial career, um, is to, uh, when he encounters resistance from senior players, to get rid of them and to focus on players who will listen to him and do what he tells them to do on the field. Difference, of course, is that Pep Guardiola's instructions um, are far more innovative and have been far more successful than Solskjaer's instructions. Um, ultimately, we know what Premier League dressing rooms are like and, and he can stock them with as many academy players and young players and, and his own signings and guys he's elevating from clubs of, uh, of a, a significantly lower standard. So, you know, when you take Aaron Wan-Bissaka and you take Harry Maguire, you take players who've never played Champions League football ever and were playing... Um, with all respect to Leicester and Crystal Palace at second tier clubs. So um, you're, you're significantly upgrading them in their career and they're going to owe a loyalty to you to start with. But if the results continue to be bad, we know what Premier League dressing rooms are like. The players never blame themselves. Ultimately, they blame the coach. Um, and the longer the results are poor for, the more rumbling you will get that about um, internal issues which may be justified and may, may not be justified but they'll start to um, let those complaints become public whether they say them themselves or push them out through people close to them um, and ultimately what that means is it doesn't matter how many people in the media Solskjaer has defending him, how many of his ex-teammates are saying he's going to need four or five transfer windows to sort out the disaster which is Manchester United's squad and get them back to being competitive for the title. Um, eventually, 
he will come under pressure because the players are making it clear they don't have faith in him anymore if he can't turn the results around. So he has to turn the results around. That's certainly the case. It's all results, Duncan. We know that. And um, yeah, I think uh, Solskjaer's got a very crucial period coming up after this international break. Pressure's been taken off him a little, um, I think, conveniently, uh, simply by the football calendar. Uh, but yeah, the next few weeks, I think uh, we will see uh, a much better um, view of how well or not Solskjaer is prepared and able to retain his job at Old Trafford. We're going to finish um, today's podcast with a bit of a quickfire round. You know it's legendary for not being quickfire, although I have tried this uh, week, listeners, I promise you, to get <laughs> get just a two-word answer, and by that I mean a first and a, uh, a surname from uh, the legendary Duncan Castles of the quickfire, um, although I suspect he will want to justify um, his choice. And, of course, the question is regarding what we've discussed uh, already in the podcast. Um, which England player who is under 21 do we believe will have the greatest impact for club and country in the next 12 months? Duncan Castles, I put this to you as the honorary quickfire legend. Um, make it as long as you like. Well, if I'm, if I'm only allowed a two-word answer, you can... No, you're not. It's okay. Put, put the, can, put the candidate... Put the candidate names in front of me. Let's <clears throat> have the, the options. Right, OK. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Mason Mount, Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford, Declan Rice. Uh, from that group, I'm going to go for a three-word answer. Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> See, he just can't be quick. It has to be at least one extra word. OK, come on, tell us why. We need more than that. Because it was uh, the Champions League, so I mean, what more big impact could he make? Well, there's an obvious bigger impact that he can make. Um, I, I think because he's so central to the the way Liverpool attack, um, which makes the most of it, his um, his abilities with the ball, um, his ability to deliver passes and crosses, is exceptional. Um, if he can round out his defensive skills, you're 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 talking about a real real top right back there. Um, so he's extremely talented and he, he's got a platform to get better and better. Um, whereas some of the other ones, I don't know if they have the same level of talent or you've got someone like Jaden Sancho who is extremely talented in a different kind of way and that sort of very traditional beating players one-on-one with unexpected skill um, that could turn into a top, top player if you add the decision-making elements and the tactical elements. And, the, you know, you can maybe compare him to where Cristiano Ronaldo was when he first came to Manchester United and that um, it was more about individual talents than the application of them. And Ronaldo has turned himself off almost into a completely different player. He's one, possibly one of the most efficient um, attacking players in the, the football has seen um, so different from what he was as a as a teenager, and um, you know, maybe Sancho can't get there because he doesn't have the same physicality as Ronaldo, but he can certainly broaden out his game um, in terms of being a team player, uh, knowing when to apply those sublime one-on-one skills um, for the benefit of the team rather than going down blind alleys. Um, so with him, there's more of a question mark in, in development for me, whereas Alexander-Arnold has a nice pathway ahead of him to get better and better, to, to get the most out of the things he's already good at. And then what he's got to learn is the defensive side. And, you know, the defensive side can be taught, um, particularly if you're, you know, you've got pace um, and you've got a reasonable physique, as he does. That, that you can learn. Um, he's, he's, got the, he's got the difficult part in terms of the creativity. Um, he's just got to get the, the the simple part added to the game. So, I, in, in 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 terms of the question, who's going to have the best year? I think Alexander Arnold's the the one who's set up best for it. I do recall Cristiano being physically much much lighter in his oh, yeah. first two or three years at United, and it was 
when he, he realised he had to improve his upper body strength in order to be less susceptible to being knocked off the ball in the Premier League that he really came into his own. Um, I'm glad you talked about Sancho, though, because he would be my choice. I think that um, things have already um, improved for him at Borussia Dortmund this season. I think he will benefit from the fact that he uh, resisted and indeed did not move um, from the German Bundesliga club um, to England, despite uh, much speculation about uh, other clubs being interested in him. I think his style of play, his expression and his talent is suited right now to being in the club that he has learned uh, where to play properly in terms of his effectiveness to the rest of the team. It's true, he's still guilty sometimes of um, putting the ball at risk and dribbling over-dribbling, um, that's for sure. But again, at the same time, when your rivals are, are Bayern Munich and you're, that's always going to be um, the bar that's set against you, then I think Sancho comes up really well in terms of what he's already shown and that this season... Uh, with another full season in the Bundesliga, he can um, improve, certainly, and uh, become a much more rounded player there. And his inclusion in England squads and playing in European Championship qualifiers will only augment um, his ability to uh, affect tactical discipline into his game um, to complement the obvious talent. So my choice would be Jaden Sancho for that. Um, oh, Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo, why is he the best player in the world? Because he dedicated himself to becoming the best player in the world in all areas. You know, he, he, yes. Physique, extra training of, of his physique, diet. I mean, Patrice Evra makes these jokes about how he doesn't want, he never wanted to have a meal with his with Ronaldo, who's a very good friend of his because it felt like a training set. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then the learning how to finish and learning how to... to improve all of this, the skills the skill set within football to make himself the best player in the world um, and that's sound, sounds easy um, it obviously isn't um, but that's why he's at the top because he did he did have that mentality and, and how many players have even partial elements of that mentality which is try and get themselves as close around out their game as much as possible, and and that's, you know, that we we talked a lot about England in this podcast, and I think that's been the handicap for England for many years is that um, youth players get built into being superstars off the basis of a few games um, in the limelight of the English media. Um, they get paid a huge amount of money at a very early age, and it it. It's too easy for them um, to arrest their own development, um, and that challenge still remains, I think, for English football. And that that probably will be the ultimate determinant of whether this generation um, wins a major title or doesn't. Well, all of our listeners um, are familiar with my, um, let's just say, love affair with English players whose first name is James. So I'm going to give an honorary mention to James Madison, who is not 21, he's 22, but I think will continue to develop and star for Leicester City this season. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him playing somewhere else in a bigger club in um, the 2020-2021 season and indeed being England's number 10. So um, James Milner, respect to you. James Madison, you're the new James. Um before we go, I would also like to doff my cap because it is my ability to do so to the great Roy King, who this week um, gave uh, an incredible and very frank interview about his relationship with Sir Alex Ferguson. If you haven't seen it, you know where to go and find it. Um, and just because we know you're listening, Sir Alex, you was an apology as well. You know why. And until you do, we won't speak to you either. That's it for this week week's uh, transfer window podcast we hope you enjoyed all three with us we look forward to um, talking to you again on Monday of next week uh, to continue the debate and please do, we've got a whole two days of what many of you will see as very boring international football so get in touch please at transfer podcast on Twitter 
at Duncan Castles, on Twitter at GarboSJ on Twitter, and we can uh, have a chat about all the issues we've raised in this podcast or indeed in either Wednesdays or Mondays. If you like what you hear, we know you do. Please, you know the story. Get onto iTunes, give us a five-star rating. We expand our community and make sure that we're all enjoying the conversation. Until Monday, we will see if there's the transfer window. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 